it was a paradigm shift for me. And I think it is for a lot of people to imagine yourself that what makes you so valuable as a teacher is absolutely transferable to another industry, which you could also love, which you could also find meaningful, which you could also have lots of meaningful relationships in and feel like you're impacting the world. I did not understand that, that that was possible. And now I do. And it's beautiful. And I hope more and more people who are truly wanting to or ready to leave academia will will just have some confidence there. Welcome to another episode. Ha ha ha. Stay tuned for where that comes from. Another episode of Academics Mean Business with Amy Walsh. I could not be more thrilled to share this conversation with you all. She, no joke, Amy was the first guest I wanted to have on Academics Mean Business. In my head, it made sense. She was my first academic entrepreneur friend that I made in this space. And it was just fitting to me that she was first. Well, we realized, though, that the amazing depth we went into this episode would not have happened if we had her at, on as the first guest. Now, having recorded nearly 30 episodes, you know, I was really go- able to go in with, deep with Amy. Not only that, we worked together um, for a large chunk of last year with my rebranding and photos in her amazing Red Carpet Rebellion, which you'll hear a little bit about that package that she offers. Um, but what I love about this conversation is that we were able to really reflect on now with all the themes and topics that I've seen kind of connecting all of us as academics with businesses, I was able to go to town with it uh, with Amy. And so it's such a beautiful conversation because we know each other so well as too. So I hope you enjoy this. She is just amazing. She bootstrapped her whole life. And we talk a, talked about as an artist. So she's going to share with you. She started nonprofits. She's ran a couple businesses. So she knew how to build community. Um, that was part of the activism she did around her artwork um, and her art as a job, art profession, that's probably a better word. Um, But she was also an art professor. And uh, she really wanted to kind of share with us that journey. We go into lots of different things. We talk about, you know, um, exploitation. We talk about, you know, her decision to not pursue adjunct work. But she mentioned she is coming back to that. She is starting to pick up gigs on the side. We talk about how her business has changed and how, you know, mine has as well. And we've been both mirroring each other and so parallel in our journeys, which has been such an honor. Um, So, you know, this is just going to be a conversation I think you'll love, um, particularly connecting what what being an artist and having passion and love for your work, how that parallels what is happening at the academy for professors and how that actually impacts what we basically consider normal for our job or workload. Such a fascinating conversation. So I do hope you love this one. Let's get right to it. Yay! This is happening, Amy. I can't believe it. Finally. Finally. (laughs) Finally. Yay. Um, So I'm just going to be straight with the audience right now. Amy was the vision. I wanted to have her be my first guest ever. And (laughs) 
<laughs> it just didn't happen. And I was like, you know, it's okay. I'm just rolling with it. I remember I was in, I was recording in Atlanta, Georgia, um, and people started booking and Amy wasn't coming up. And I was like, well, I'm just going to release her episode first. And then it just took us forever. She yeah. you know, photographed me. We've been working together. And it's just like, I can exhale because now Amy Walsh is on Academics Mean Business and I am I've, a happy I've lady. Been, I've been playing hard to get with you, yes, Lindsay. Yes, she has. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, I really the truth wanted comes you, out. I wanted you to be ready for me. Oh. <laughs> she is going to shake us all up. Yes, yes, yes. So, Amy, oh my yes. gosh, I'm so happy you're here. Um, let's just jump into your academic background. Tell us about what you studied, what you were obsessed with, um, what you taught, and all that good, good, juicy stuff. Okay. Um, I started an undergrad at the University of Massachusetts Amherst in the painting, the fine arts department with a concentration in painting. I knew from a very young age that fine art was my was going to be the rest of my life. Mm. Um, so I did that. And then I took about a 10 year hiatus between undergrad and grad school, did a bunch of experiments, you know, some failures and some successes, and then went back to graduate school when I was 30 four and went to the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts and got a master's in sculpture. Love it. And from there, that sort of launched me into my many long years of adjunct teaching, um, which started that basically the year that I graduated from there. So I, I taught in seven or eight different universities over the course of the next 10 to 12 years. I'm not sure the exact math, you know, mm -hmm. up and down the East Coast. And, um, and then I started my business a couple of years ago. And I should also say all during those years that I was teaching and in the years between school and even during school, I was doing a number of other kinds of professional experiments as well. Oh, that's good to know. So yeah. small, some others kind of small business experiments and, um, interdisciplinary kind of projects that were sort of art and sort of other things. I, I, uh, founded a nonprofit and I ran another nonprofit and all of these were kind of, um, bootstrap kind of ventures. I would say I'm kind of a chronic bootstrapper, mm, mm -hmm. um, which gives you a lot of good skills for, for starting it business. <laughs> it definitely, it definitely does. So, so I have a question for you then, because okay. one of my next questions typically is, you know, when did you kind of first start to dabble or go, you know, outside of the Academy to have have an income or an income stream. Mm -hmm. So um, I'm curious since, you know, you did your graduate work a little bit later, right? Um, yep. And you started kind of exploring. It just sounds like you simultaneously were doing grad work and teaching and kind of running things on the side. Is there any moment where you can be like, yes, this is when I realized it wasn't going to sustain me or was the academic pursuit... Um, you know, did, were you after a full-time job and just kind of paint that picture for us about like, because to me, those two identities is kind of what we talk about on this podcast. So if you kind of held both of those identities from the beginning, if you could speak mm -hmm. to that a little bit. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or maybe yeah. it's because you're an artist, like you, you almost have to realize like, how am I going to sell my art or what does art look like in the world yes. for exchange? Yes. Yeah. So I'm curious if you could <laughs> dig there for us. There's so many ways I could answer this question. I might as well just go kind of chronologically and try sure. not to be too verbose. <laughs> um, <laughs> but in those years between undergraduate and graduate school, that 10 year period, I 
I had absolutely no intention of becoming a teacher. In mm-hmm. fact, I had some attitude about that as an undergrad. I looked at my professors and I said, I love them and I love what they're doing for me, but they're so brilliant. Why aren't they getting really big in the art world? Why are they oh, stuck over here doing this? Interesting. I'm not going to put all my eggs. I'm going to go for it. I'm going to go mm-hmm. for it as a fine artist. Right. Mm-hmm. And I was also very politically minded and very much an activist, you know, mm-hmm. from teenage years on. And so I also really wanted to devote a lot of my energy and my attention to building community and building, Mm -hmm. you know, the world that I wanted to create and all these things. So what I ended up doing during those years is making a, quote, living by being a barista most of that time and doing random freelance design projects, including building some of the first like websites around in the Boston area where I was because it was like early to mid nineties. Um, and you know, learning out of a book, how to write HTML and throwing my computer out the window, my old Apple, you know, (laughs) whatever those were called. Um, but what I did during that time was I organized a group of 23 artists who were all under the age of 26 or 27, Um, So we were maybe an age range from 18 to 26. And I was 25 at the time when I did this. And we founded a community art center with like Mm. no startup capital at all. Amazing. And all through those years, I was very much in the process of and planning to always be in the process of building an art career based on... um, thing you know like the community art center that that would eventually have some kind of revenue that things would be grant based they'd be nonprofit based that i'd eventually start getting support from the art world itself and mm-hmm. you know i had all these kind of dreams about how all that stuff was going to play out without a whole lot of understanding about how those industries work uh, and how much those industries rely on artists being paid very, very Very little. little. Mm -hmm. So I don't regret any of it because um, it was amazing to found a community art center that, you know, more than 20 years later, it's still thriving. And to have a community art center with galleries and classrooms and events and a dark room and all kinds, it was a real cultural contribution in its day and and that it was all run by young adult artists was Mm -hmm. like a big deal. And some of those folks are like my best friends now still. Mm. Um, so I, I learned so much about how to run a business from the perspective of like initiating a big project yep. with very few resources. Yep. You know, we, we rented the building. So it was all of our studio rent in the first month that paid our expenses for that month. There was mm-hmm. no extra anything. And I never got paid. I was a director for seven years <laughs> yeah. and it turned into a nonprofit wow. and I never had a paycheck. And so I wasn't learning how to support myself financially during those years, but I was learning how to launch things and how to launch. Mm-hmm. Um, galvanize communities around things, um, which was a big deal for me because I was very mm-hmm. shy. I mean, I would be like physically ill for days before having to lead one of my little meetings. And, oh, wow. you know, it was very scary. Um, mm. But then I kind of got thrown into adjuncting, you know, when I finally got kind of burnt out by all that and went into graduate school, I, I got thrown into adjuncting um, in a way that's, you know, was, it was a, a big privilege. Actually, it was like one of my grad school teachers mm-hmm. kind of threw me into a class that another teacher couldn't teach. And I just started teaching it and I fell in love mm-hmm. with teaching. Um, and all those years while I was being an adjunct, especially when I was 
being an adjunct in multiple universities, I was definitely doing the math and figuring out that I was making about minimum wage. Um, you know, when I added up my travel time and the extra time I spent with students and the class prep and all that, I was just barely scraping by. Yeah. Um, and during that time, I also married my partner and we had a child um, and our child we, there was a difficult situation there are a lot of like medical issues early on and so there was just a lot of financial needs and medical mm -hmm. needs and all kinds of things happening so it was a very intense set of years and it also dovetailed with starting to gain some traction as an exhibiting artist and getting oh, wow. some bigger shows and doing exhibiting enough that I was having to do, you know, almost full-time studio work in my studio, yeah. which is all unpaid while being a mother of an infant and teaching at multiple universities. <laughs> so super hard to, to be working that hard and to be gaining so much momentum in all areas of my life, except mm -hmm. financially, which, mm -hmm. you know, you know, financial stuff, taps into so many other deep emotional issues. Yep, yep. You know, and I think in a lot of ways my story my story is partially about the sort of, you know, these exploitative systems that we're mm -hmm. in, but also my own sort of personal long-term grappling with this state of being that's about like yep. always building things out of nothing. This like mm -hmm. scrappy resourceful thing which is also like not always so help healthy. Mm -hmm. So um so fast forward to about 2011 after, you know, several years of that, uh, we moved to Rhode Island to be closer to my family in Boston. And um, I got I started leading a small nonprofit that was struggling and turning it into a kind of arts nonprofit and starting to write grants and pull it out of the hole and was teaching in a few different places here. And I just completely crashed. I had a total... Um, total burnout moment where my body just said no more and mm. I within a couple months got very 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 sick was diagnosed with multiple autoimmune disorders and was just bedridden could not work could yeah. not work um, you know landed in the ER and and it was like the the turning point <laughs> big turning point where I just realized it that and the way I described it to myself was um, the way, you know, the kind of mantra or, or phrase that I, I kept like turning over in my brain to kind of recondition myself to live my life in a different way is that um, my body is no longer a natural resource to be exploited Ooh. in the service of any greater good, even if that greater good is my dreams and my, you know, visionary political, social, cultural change work. Um, it was really the moment that I realized that the exploitation of the world had gotten in my body, that I was doing mm. it to myself. I couldn't do it anymore. Um, and through all those years of doing all those different things, I was also doing a lot of peer counseling work and sort of my activism was very involved in the sort of deep listening disciplines. And I, I started coaching people from my bed because that was all I knew how to do. And, mm. and there I was all of a sudden, all of the different things I was doing had been reduced to one new small business. And I'd never done just one thing before. And that was the beginning of what I'm doing now. It just has kind of evolved from there. And I went through a kind of juicy internal um, breakup process with both the art world and with academia. 
um, during that time. And interestingly, now that I'm really getting my feet under me with my business, both mm-hmm. of those things have been peeking their way back into right? my door. They sneak back in. But mm-hmm. it feels so good now because mm-hmm. I don't depend on them. Ah. So I just have a much different relationship to oh, that's huge. those spaces, which is yes. kind of mind-blowing to me. Um, and I will say I absolutely adored the teaching work mm-hmm. that I did. And mm-hmm. I love the academy. And I cannot stand how exploitative it is to people, mm-hmm. to teachers. Mm-hmm. So. Did you did you hear, I just did an interview yesterday. And um, so I'm recording, I'm like batch recording. Okay. Did you hear um, an institution in Southern Illinois is looking for volunteer faculty? <gasps> people are freaking out. Oh, <laughs> so, my God. I no. know. And th- I love that I can get your like initial reaction of hearing that. But is that not the most bananas thing that you have ever it's heard? so bananas. It is so bananas. You know, like the, the articles that you read or the things you see on your Facebook feed about like, you know, the the professor, the like acclaimed professor who's, you know, living out of their car and right. on welfare. Right. It's just not an exaggeration. No. It really no. is that way for so many yep. people. Yep. It's incredible. And so what's so interesting about even so I haven't read the piece I haven't. So this was told to me by a guest that I had yesterday. And we basically recorded her podcast. And then I keep recording after we turn it off. Um, Uh And the next hour, she goes, Can we talk money? And I was like, Yes. (laughs) And so we just started getting into it. And so it's so interesting that that's where you're starting, which, you know, now I've done, I probably recorded like between like 25 and 30 interviews. And it's so interesting to see what comes out of people and my guests, like, and where I am, right? Because I Mm -hmm. tend to ask questions about what I'm processing. And so, you know, you literally, we just opened this interview saying like, you know, you had to be ready for me. And if you were my first interview, it may have been kind of awkward and like a little (laughs) more like, you know what I mean? And so Mm -hmm. there's something about you following her ending with that. And then your story Mm -hmm. speaks Mm -hmm. so to that truth um because her um lisa monroe she uh so you most likely you guys will be back to back but even if you're not it's the episode with lisa monroe but she basically wanted to be a professor and, and i have never heard this before she basically was like, I am not, I have no space to adjunct. I will not be an adjunct. I am just going to try to get the full-time job. So she tried for two years and then she goes, okay, I don't think I'm going to do this and I'm going to do something else. And I was like, I've never heard that before. And so, um, so we talked about money and our mindset around it for academics, which is something you and I have been processing together. So for the audience, Amy, Amy was one of the first people I met in this online space where I was like oh my gosh she gets me and um and we I have that with was, you too yeah. yeah and so we yeah. connected we've been together for a long time and um it's just been such an amazing journey just to watch her you know grow which we'll definitely get into I'd love I can't wait for you to share your business and you know how it moved from coaching to what you're doing now but um you know she was one of the first people where she's like oh my gosh I adjuncted and like the fact that you're a professor is so is so interesting and this was like the first summer of my business and she kind of helped me process like me leaving and all this stuff because she was one of the people who got me and so Amy represents to me like 
academics mean business. Like the birth of this is comes from our friendship. So um, Aww, so I'm just cool. so grateful I love it. that yeah, I'm so grateful we got to meet each other. I'm so grateful that you were there and showing up, you know, in Lacey's group and um, all of that. I don't know. Don't make me cry or anything. But, but um, you're just bringing yourself there all by yourself, Lindsay. right? I know. Right? I'm processing so right now. Okay. Um, but no, it's been a cool journey, and so. I'd love so yeah your story really speaks to this conversation that we've I've started to have on the show which is it's such an exploitative institution and specifically because like how it's so easy to exploit when people love what they do. So, yes. and, and I think, and you straddle both of these, like, cause I think artists are very similar to professors where mm-hmm. everyone is in it because they love what they create. They love their, the time that they get to be with their students, like the core piece. So I'm sure like mm-hmm. you love making art, but the other yes. side of that is all the other things, the, how the industry is structured, where money comes from, you know, all this other stuff. And so, um, so you're both, <laughs> you get to hold yeah. both of those things. And so I'm curious what your thoughts are around, yeah, wh- how this is set up and what damage it does to both. You can speak as an artist, you can speak as an yeah. adjunct. Um, if you want to, I don't know, tap into that a little bit. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that first comes to mind that's similar for both artists and professors is more has to do with like class and status, So I feel like one of the things that you're sort of, you know, that kind of unspoken or unwritten thing is that part of your payment is that you get the status, you get the, the, that kind of identity of being Mm. a professor who, you know, we, you know, whether we went to school or not, it's, it's, I think true of all teachers at any level, it's like, you know, this industry that ruthlessly financially exploits the people who are doing this incredibly important work. But we know from the vantage point of being students that when we have a good teacher, that person changes our life forever. Changes lives. Yes. Changes our life forever. And so I think part of it, you know, for me with teaching is, yes, I loved it a lot. It, you know, those relationships were to have that many meaningful relationships Mm. around things that felt really exciting and important and interesting to explore. I mean, what makes you feel closer to people than following your curiosity and your imagination together, Mm. learning about the world together, watching people light up and feeling it keep lighting up inside of you. Mm. You know, that is amazing. But there's also this piece where you, you know, for me, I felt like, oh my goodness, I've arrived. I'm like, a professor yes. there's this feeling yep. of status this feeling of like I'm, I'm a grown-up yes yeah and with the art world too I mean in a very exaggerated way artists are expected to do tremendous amount of cultural valuable cultural production mm-hmm. simply for the quote exposure you know mm-hmm. so this is where you get big corporations big organizations you know big money makers offering almost nothing to artists just so they can have the status exposure of yeah being, so the currency is exposure in the art world and the currency in the yes. professor world is like your students we hear that all yes. the time give 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 you're doing this for your students and the institution yes. magically flips that even though in practice you're like this is not for the students yes. at all yeah definitely exactly and and with 
with the university, it's, you know, I, I remember getting all this subtle pressure from administrators or higher ups that if I wasn't showing up to the mm, other unpaid yes. things or to the crit critiques of the students that weren't paid for me, and you know, like, do I really care? You know, Ooh. this should be for <laughs> right? love. Turn I think, the thing that you're yeah. doing it for against you to make yeah. you up. So I think with teaching and with the art world, there's this giant expectation that you must do it for love. Mm-hmm. You know, and which, of course, immediately shuts out an enormous, enormous populations of people who simply could never have the financial resources and privilege themselves. to be able mm -hmm. to do that. Yep. Or people like me who, you know, had sort of was con continually conditioning myself, even though I didn't have, you know, uh, a trust fund or a wealthy spouse and didn't sort of have the resources, but like was just really comfortable, fortunately or unfortunately, with mm. living on the edge. Yeah. Which, you know, part of that's privilege too. There's a mm -hmm. way that I kind of knew it wouldn't kill me. Mm -hmm. Well, until I got really but sick. Even though and it almost I was did. Like, <laughs> you know, it actually might actually yeah. kill me. But yeah. um, yeah, I think the status piece is really big and it's very confusing. And, you know, I've kind of made peace with the art world now and I love, you know, it's like my, the biggest loves of my life in terms of creative collaborators and people who inspire me and who have been influential in my life have been both in the art world and in academia. Um, but when I was making the decision to kind of walk away from pursuing a professional career in that world, you know, mm -hmm. I had to close the door hard because it had been a lifelong dream. So I had to like really face why I was walking away uh, and a big yep. piece of why I was walking away. I looked, I finally got enough distance that I looked at the art world and I was like, Oh, you fit the profile of an abusive lover. Mm -hmm. It's this thing that, you know, the art world says to artists, Oh my God, you're they, it either ignores you or it says, Ooh, I've picked you out as special. Uh -huh. Now that I've picked you out as special, I'm going to give you all of these treats that don't actually allow you to take care of yourself, mm. but keep you sort of jumping after all these little table scraps. Mm -hmm. And if you leave, you're nothing without me. If you jump off this train, you can't get back on. There's like so much competition in the art world for Ugh. those table scraps. And so such a feeling that if you don't get those little treats of visibility, which come for no pay most of the time or very little, mm -hmm. then you are invisible again. Oof. So you, as an artist, if, if you invest some of your identity in the art world as an artist, and there's lots of people who don't, but if you do, that's the kind of psychological dynamic that gets built around your lack of adequate compensation for the work yep. that you're doing. And it, it never hit me so hard as when I um, had, I was part of a small group show in a museum and it felt like huge exposure for me. It felt like, you know, just a tremendously wonderful thing for my mm. CV and for my visibility. And I made a giant, I spent about six months working full time on a giant installation. The museum gave me $5 to transport it from my studio to the museum, $500. And that was it. That was my mm -hmm. payment for that six months. I had a newborn infant with medical issues wow. at home and a low income husband. <laughs> And I just remember op the opening day as I was, you know, working myself to exhaustion, I looked around and I said, wow, the people who are cleaning the toilets here, taking the tickets here, curating here, 
writing the art reviews on the board. Every single person in this institution got paid for this show. Oh, wow. I'm the only one who didn't, me and the other artists. And that was the moment I was able to stand back and really, you know, look at what I already knew, Um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but personally, you know, Mm -hmm. very personally. And so, yeah, I think it's similar with academia. It just feels... You know, the Academy is a beautiful place. It's a complicated place. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's a maddening place, but it's a, it's for many of us, it's like our heart, our heart and soul feel so connected to the work we do. Mm-hmm. And mine still does. I still, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I would just, you know, on any given day after a long, satisfying day of teaching, if you, you know, gave me a hug, I would have cried about how much I love my students, yep, you know? Yep, yep, Um But there's really not many other industries where you're expected to, um, you know, where you're expected to let that be your compensation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, not at all. Well, and then, you know, we can flip it and also say, how lucky am I that I mm-hmm. got to experience that as part of my work that I showed up for as part of my mm-hmm. labor? Because there's so many other, you know, positions in society where it's just such an alienated, terrible place. And it's, yes. it's just the exchange of like your labor for dollars, which yes. is still happening in the institution. But that made me feel guilty. Like I'm leaving this thing that mm-hmm. anyone, any person on any given day would kill for that yes. job. And I'm just like, okay, bye. I'm going to go do this and and so I still wrestle with that too because I cared so much it was it was a life force for me like being in the classroom at least was yeah 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 and also you're you're also reminding me to say like every institution and every industry is exploitative inside of capitalism it just is yeah it just is and so Mm -hmm. to get to be in one that's exploitative but makes you feel good yeah like what a gift (laughs) But again, yeah, and I, I yeah. think part of why it gets so shocked, you know, I think part of why I felt shocked was sort of my kind of middle class dreamer naivete or something. Mm. It was like, oh, I thought I found the industries where I could kind of escape the nastiness uh, yeah, of yeah, capitalist yeah. exploitation. Yeah. And it was shocking for a while while I came into a more accurate consciousness about my situation. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) You know, I'd love to hear Amy about when, so you're, when you started the coaching business, that online thing, right? So it sounds like you did a lot of, um, work kind of boots on the ground type of work, right? In your community, which was important to you. When did you start to realize that there's that kind of work that can be done online? It's obviously different, but there are communities online and there are people connecting in these ways um, and people are exchanging money for that. And so when did you start to kind of make that shift mentally about um, having a business online? Well, it was kind of made for me because I was so sick that I wasn't getting true, out much. True. Um, yeah. And also I was, you know, I'd just been living in my new home in Providence, Rhode Island for a few years. And I'd been so busy with the adjuncting and with the parenting. I, uh. I knew a small group of parents, but I really hadn't di- dived into the art community or into activism. So you had in Providence. moved communities and that w- was a little bit of a, of a distancer, yeah. if you will. So yeah. I, was, I was feeling kind of isolated already. Um, somewhat, at least in terms mm-hmm. of my 
professional, you know, the things I really geek out about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it was kind of a natural thing to just look online um, and say, what can I do? And I actually started it, you know, at that point I said, I need to take a total break from the things that I'm the super you passionate about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because That's a fair, I mean, yeah. at that point I said that the next step in my life is to figure out financial and physical self-care. Mm-hmm. And when I get inspired, I leap into mm-hmm. I leap into the abyss of the inspiration <laughs> and I stop taking care of myself financially and physically. So I said, I, I'm not going to do that for a couple of years. I'm, this mm-hmm. is my next big experiment in my life. I'm going to build something very sound and solid. And so I did, I think, what a lot of people do and what I see a lot in the kind of coaching spaces, which is I kind of built a coaching business around what I was figuring out in my life. Yep. yep. And I had a lot of really great active listening skills from doing a lot of peer counseling mm-hmm. and a mm-hmm. lot of facilitating and teaching. And I just decided to kind of harness all of that. And my first iteration of my business was, it was called, um, oh, it was just Amy Walsh coaching, but I started a course, a group program called the brave, brave creation. And it was for mothers of young children. And it was about creative and physical self care. Um, and I had, I ran a little group group program for a while and I was coaching Mm. people one-on-one and just slowly trying to get it off the ground and also encountering the world of digital entrepreneurship and solopreneurship, (laughs) which was blowing my mind. (laughs) So what, so is this, how, how much earlier is this before we met? So we met in the summer of 2016 through Lacey's like competition. I'm pretty sure, right? That's like when we first saw each other. I think that was right around that time. I think that's yeah. what I was doing when I first met you. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because it was that summer. It. I mean, that summer was when I landed in the ER mm-hmm. and okay. was really sick. I may not have been showing the world how sick I was at that point mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, I think I think that's when that was. Or maybe it was the summer before that I got so sick. I'm not sure, but I was in the first year of my business, whether it was sure. right. It wasn't right at the beginning. It was, I think I was a year in. Got it. So I was, you know, more physically functional and I'm, I'm much better now, but I, you know, I think, um, I was doing that business and maybe at that point was just starting to shift it because of course my commitment to not bringing all the things that I'm most in love with and geek out about into my business, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm commitment dissolved, you know, within a few months, right? <laughs> you can't keep yourself in your zone of genius out of your business. Uh, you know, yeah, you just can't. Mm-hmm. So, uh, well, I think what I'd, I'd like to talk about, because I definitely ask this question of every guest is what skills and I, I already know, because you said definitely the bootstrapping thing, but what skills from academia, um, and the art world, if you want to bring that in too, really was starting to serve you well, as you built this business, but it does sound like because you had built other businesses in a certain way, you knew, okay, I don't want this, I don't want like, I'm not going to stand for this, I want to, you know, use, um, you know, make money and build a foundation. So what kind of things really translated well for you? Um, into into this space and then I definitely want to talk a little bit about venturing into entrepreneurship too like what the world is like as well okay um so I think my answer is kind of both of those at once actually because it took me a while to figure out what what I was bringing into the space because I felt so knocked over by the culture Mm -hmm. of the space that I was entering yeah yeah um and I had built 
businesses and projects and organizations before, but it was always through the cultures of like the nonprofit world mm -hmm. and the art world. I didn't really learn how to build a solid business, business. plan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I did not have, yes. really have business skills. You yeah. know? And so I was very sort of overwhelmed by all I had to learn, mm. especially a, totally. a digital small business that was built on social media, content marketing, like mm. all of that felt very new. So I, just like a lot of people, I spent the first year and a half or so, like just completely being knocked around by the waves of like, you know, shiny object syndrome. Yes, and who yes. do I follow? And is this formula right? Is this formula? Should I have a formula? You know, just kind of chasing different ideas and not totally trusting myself and my ability mm. to just be there with what I had and know that was enough. And gradually that kept getting proven to me when I would do something that was kind of unscripted and just me, mm. something People really should happen. And the more, yeah. yep. the more I really just decided to be myself, meaning not just myself and my quirks or my vulnerabilities, but like the skills and the ideas and the strengths that I have from the other parts of my life, the more I was able to build a following. So um, I think having training and experience as a professor is totally a superpower in this mm -hmm. space. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of it is because the, these spaces, the space of marketing is so incredibly fast paced yes, and so easily can pull you up onto its vacuous surface mm -hmm. and people are really hungry for conversations and for experiences that have more meaning and that allow a little mm. bit more depth. And I think, so you know, as professors, we're always trying to figure out how to get underneath and, mm. you know, how to dig and how to find the sort of deeper meaning in things, not just professors. A lot of people have this, but it's definitely something that I cultivated in a structured kind of way as a professor. Yep. Yep. And also that how does each detail and everything you're doing relate to the larger whole into a bigger yep. perspective? And how can you hold conversations where people can figure that out together? Um, mm. So I think that has definitely been when I decided to self-identify as the visual culture nerd and <laughs> art, what art like, you, you know, your resident artist and visual culture nerd in the business yep. space is when things started to really shift for me yep. to, to be like kind of a intellectual in that space and to, to be, you know, irreverent about it too because mm. it's just another weird ass identity that's coded with all kinds of cultural stuff <laughs> of course space, <laughs> you know to play with yeah. it and to i found it. it really really fun to play with these identities in the context of branding mm. i think branding is such an incredibly creative identity play space for yes. people and we we try too hard to to fix it and to, to make it stable. And I think it's just really needs to be a big theatrical play space for people. Oh and my that's gosh. one of the things that I love to, to promote. <laughs> yeah. So I, Amy, please share with everyone what you do because, um, and like, if you want to tap into some of the seeds of, because I feel like your coaching is there. So I've worked with Amy. I've hired her. Um, she created a beautiful, amazing photography, which we can, you know, 
dip into. But um, part of the thing that I like to to share on this podcast is is the evolution of business. The like expected, like it will happen. The first thing you sell is not going to be what you end up fall, like falling into or coming home to because I really do feel like it's a coming home and there's such a process involved. So if you want to share with us what what your journey has looked like and like tell us what you're up to now because I think uh, people are going to love it when they hear okay. it. Okay. Okay. So I started um, doing one-on-one coaching calls with mothers of young children around creative self-care and more and more of the clients that I got were and I was very much struggling. I never had a full client mm-hmm. load. I was really mm-hmm. struggling with how do you do marketing? And it was really yeah. hard to figure out how to get visible. And my message yeah. was all over the place mm-hmm. and all that. But I was getting clients. And many of them were mothers of young children, like so many people in the business space who, and this is something I don't think it's talked about a lot. There are so many women in the digital entrepreneur yes. space who are yep. there yep. because they could no longer continue their professional careers or didn't want to once they had children, which is another whole layer of political stuff that we don't talk about enough. But um, (laughs) a lot of these folks came to me because A, they were interested in the topic and because B, they were interested in what they saw me doing with my business and they wanted me to help them figure out how to start their business. So within that first year, I found myself doing sessions that looked more and more like creative business building. Mm. And I started just sort of organically shifting my business to look more like I was a business coach. Yeah, which is different. And it was a very strange time because Mm -hmm. I do not have the chops to be a business coach, to think about all those parts with people. But Mm. that was really what people wanted from Mm. me, Mm. (laughs) knowing that I did not have. So I was like, there is something here. Yep. And this is scary because I'm out on an edge and I don't want to be promoting myself as being able to do something that I don't know how to do. I Which am is one the, of the, the academic in you is weird, right? Do I need a yes. certification? <laughs> yeah, yes. totally. And I was also noticing the patterns in the space. I'm like, here yeah. are all these business coaches who haven't even There's built a, a successful business yeah. themselves. Yep, yep, and yep, that yep. was me. And so there was a, a few months of being in this like super unstable territory of being like, is this even an integrity? The mm. people I was working with were moving forward. I was ahead of them, but only barely in my own <laughs> business. And you know, it caused me to do a lot of soul searching Mm -hmm. and a lot of like, what am I doing here? And that was my first like part of that business education that's about like, okay, there's what you think you're doing and there's what's actually happening when people Uh, come to you. Yep, yep, yep. And it created this whole rift in my psyche. (laughs) I'm trying (laughs) to keep this clean. I'm trying to just do this thing. And um, to make a long story short, you know, the, the way it started evolving is I started doing a lot of customer research or potential customer research. Mm-hmm. And the more I asked the questions I really wanted to ask and the more I heard the honest responses from people I talked to, the more it became clear that what was needed was for me to be myself, which is a big Mm. giant visual culture nerd and artist in the business space. Yep, And I didn't see that model out there. I didn't see a person out there like that because I wasn't scary. Yeah. I wasn't deciding to be a branding specialist or a website Mm -hmm. designer or a copywriter or a business coach or Mm -hmm. a mindset coach. Like there was nothing. 
So <laughs> I just started randomly experimenting with different kinds yep. of programs. Which um, you were great at. I want to highlight you. that. Like she would put together these <laughs> workshops. I, I remember one of the workshops I attended, something about creativity. What did you used to call that? The visual storytelling workshop? And, or, no, it oh, was creative like, confidence jam. Oh, <laughs> yeah, the crying creative ones. Content. The creative content. The creative confidence jams. Yes. Yes. Which yes. And it was like, oh my gosh. And I remember going and being like, this is like what I need needed because there there aren't a lot of spaces like this so that's what's cool yeah. in first of all your experimentation which seems very artsy like uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh-huh. like I'm sure that like half the stuff you create doesn't see the light of day but the other mm-hmm. thing is you um, and this I want to reflect back to the audience is is like there's so much um cookie cutter template blueprint stuff happening in this space because everyone's just trying to figure it out Right. But there's this hole that people with our kind of background and deep knowing about our disciplines and Mm -hmm. like what it like when we show up as all of us, I mean, amazing things happen because no one is doing it. And that's like you're you're reflecting back to me, my own journey, too, because and this is and this is why I created this podcast is because I shut off the academic in me almost entirely. And I was like, well, I'm going to master this marketing thing. And I got all up into funnels and all this stuff, which has totally helped me because now I can help other professors do what I do. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, is not until I showed up as the integrated self, uh, which Amy is still helping me process, (laughs) but like that, the academic and the business owner and the entrepreneur and the, and, and, and like, I'm all of those things. When I start showing up as myself, people are flocking to me and there isn't a course creator. Cause when I started to, I was, I was like, Oh, I found a perfect niche. There's very few course creators talking about these things. And now it's, you know, People are starting to go like, oh, yeah, I have a curriculum background. Like, I'm going to start helping with courses. And I started to realize like, oh, I'm actually not even that good at helping with courses. Like, I had to hire a team <laughs> of people to help. Yep, yep. But what I'm good at is teaching. So now right. it's like the the um, the audience, the market is uh, ready for what I have to say around this. So anyways, what I, I just want to put out there is most likely because this market is I even though it feels like you know everyone sold everything that could possibly be sold it's still pretty fresh and new for people Mm. like us because there are few people who've spent that much time with a subject time teaching um, energy and like that that passion piece that we were kind of you know getting exploited for now is such an asset in this space if we can claim our worth and we're okay with making money which is a whole other (laughs) conversation but like people need us like because there's so much get rich quick stuff happening and templates and and people doing the same thing and copying each other because it's worked before man is this industry ready for like innovation and like research backed knowledge and teaching in this space like I could go on obviously yes (laughs) yes yeah and I think especially if we're not intimidated by the culture shock of Mm, it because which it is a thing from academia (laughs) to the business online digital business world was a culture shock for me. And yep. so all the conversations of my, are so interesting. Sometimes I would be like, is is this my life right now? <laughs> like, I this know. Post, like I know. I it's, know. It's interesting. But also it's such its own 
culture. Yep. And it's yep. so yep. it's so has its own culture with its own stories and its own way of talking and being and everything. And Amy's and, here to disrupt it. <laughs> yeah, but what what I first experienced was mm-hmm. this insecurity of like yep. I don't understand this. I have I don't to learn this. Doing. I don't yep. know anything. I don't know mm-hmm. what I'm doing. And it wasn't until I knocked all that stuff out yep. and just showed up as myself that I could engage as a as yes. a peer. And that would be like the thing I would say to all the academics that are thinking about entering the business world. Like come in, like standing up straight and tall Ooh, yeah. and ready to roll. You um, have instant credibility. That's what I keep saying to people yes. that because of your background, like it's cra- like people, it you know, yes, yes. Yeah. All of that. And the other thing though is even even people who aren't, um, who don't have this background, like, you know, there's so much conformity mm. in these spaces as much as everyone's talking about standing out and everyone's talking about being yourself and being authentic and blah, 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 blah. Mm. There's a lot of conformity, just like in yep. every culture, right? Yep. Yep. And it's always the people who are not afraid to completely geek out about the yep. thing that they are really interested in. Academics are really good at doing that. Yes, but they even are. the other business kind of luminaries who may not come from an academic background, the ones who are really making a huge difference and making a real contribution to the culture, they just are not afraid to let their freak flag totally yep. fly and, so and go really deeply into an exploration of something. And I mm. think it can be scary to do that because it feels like, what if I invest all of that time and money and energy and heart space into this big exploration mm. and no one wants to buy it? That's like the big mm. pain point sure. out there is that people yep. going to care. And that's some old, old stuff to bring mm. to your, you know, cry into your pillow or whatever, mm-hmm. and get up mm-hmm. the next day and be like, okay. What I have to say matters, you know? Yeah. Um, So share with us a little bit about where you are now, because you you threw a bunch of things at the wall. Some stuff started to stick. You started making a name for yourself in some groups. Yes. Yeah. Earlier on, I was doing a lot of, um, you know, hanging out in a lot of Facebook groups. That's how Mm -hmm. I did a lot of my promotion. That's how a lot of people found out about me. I would do these five day free workshops in my own Facebook group, the Tactical Imagination Club, which is still active um, and was getting more and more one on one clients. And I'm in a really interesting place now because my business is about to make a big pivot. And maybe I'll just Mm. go ahead and tell y'all what's coming, even though nobody else knows. I was literally going, I wonder if Amy's going to open up about where she's headed on the podcast. Yeah, why yes. not? Why not? Yeah. I can't. I am so bad at keeping secrets. Right? I cannot do it. <laughs> I cannot do it. So what I'm doing right now is I coach people one-on-one, business owners who want to have brilliant, beautiful brands mm-hmm. and who the people who come to me always have and I define this pretty expansively, but, you know, a desire to make a contribution culturally to make mm-hmm. the world a better place. You know, many consider themselves like social justice activists, things mm-hmm. like that. But it's really, it's the gamut of people who they just want to do branding. That's about more than just like looking good and making yeah. a buck. It's yeah. like meaning driven. Right. Yep. Yep. So I coach people one-on-one to learn how to translate what's at the heart of what they do into visual language, Mm -hmm. whether they're hiring people to do design for them or they have a marketing person or they're doing the, the creative visual work themselves. I want people to really understand how to communicate visually what's important to them because 
brands are becoming less and less and le less fixed, less and less something you can say, my brand is these four colors mm -hmm. and this kind of font and this message. Brands are evolving yes. continually. Yep. And the space is so saturated visually and we are communicating so much through our visuals, largely unconsciously for many of us. So, you know, when you're putting your visuals out there into the world, you are upholding or disrupting or mm -hmm. recreating visual culture. And when you can harness that, it is total rocket fuel for your yep. business and for your message. So I help people do that through a whole process um, of calls. And you did a lot of that with me mm -hmm, in preparation mm -hmm. for your photo shoot. I teach a course, Visual Revolutionaries, which um, we're just winding up our recent our recent one. And people do that same process in community. Nice. And I started this um, for the first time actually making artwork again with mm. and for some clients. And that's what you got to participate in. Uh -huh. That's Red Carpet Rebellion. Yep. So this is me bringing my own sculptor, installation artist geekdom back into the process where... Yeah. Can we, you also share too where you decided that you got your workshop space too? Because I feel like that was a big moment for you as well, like as part of all of this. You mean my, my studio you space? You renting your studio space. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I'm like, what do yeah. you artists call it? <laughs> yes, yes. It's my studio space. It's the Bureau of Tactical Imagination Mothership, and mm -hmm. now the home of the Bureau of Tactical Imagination Special Projects Unit. Ooh, this is part of my pivot. So yeah. Um, yeah, that came uh, about a year ago, mm -hmm. and that really like literally made this physical and emotional and mental and spiritual creative imagine. space yeah. to be yep. able to build things. So now I work with people on uncovering their visual story and then I build out that world in the form of a large sculptural installation. Mm -hmm. And my clients come spend a couple days with me like you did. And the brilliant Stephanie Alvarez Evans, who's a great photographer, collaborates with us. And we spend a couple of days banging out amazing image after amazing yep. image. Yep. And I'm so proud of yours. I love them oh, so much. So I can't fun. wait. I'll definitely for drop one in the show notes. I know. They're like, it's okay. like, People, I'm like dripping them in little ways, but I definitely want to make the big reveal with my yeah. with my uh, website. But you know what? Actually, by the time yours airs, I'm, it might actually be uh, totally mm -hmm. live. So we'll see. We'll oh see. my goodness! And my yeah. new thing might be live. So you want to hear about my new thing? Please. I'm so excited. I can't so, wait. Okay, so here's the pivot. Here's the pivot I'm making. I threw all the things at the wall. A whole bunch of things stuck. I've been doing all of them mm -hmm. and it makes me feel crazy like I'm running yep. four different businesses, yep. right? Yep. Yep. And another thing is I'm looking out at the industry. I'm looking at how completely exhausted everybody is mm -hmm. by Facebook and by Facebook groups mm -hmm. and by all the things and da 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 that we're like supposed I to do. Yeah. And I am yep. tired of being in a million places in a, in mm -hmm. all at once. And I'm wanting to create a place where I can consolidate my teaching, coaching, and community building activities all in one place. Mm -hmm. And I can invite others in to teach and facilitate with me to create something mm -hmm. bigger than just me, because mm -hmm. I don't want this to be the Amy show. I want to be mm -hmm. the visual culture geek within an ecosystem of amazing people who are making visionary, beautiful things happen. So I'm creating a membership community away from Facebook. Yeah. And it's going to be, you know, curated monthly themes 
I'm going to get incredible people in there. It's going to be about building a brilliant and visionary brand. Mm -hmm. And the visual storytelling work that I do with people is going to be a really big part of that. The creative Mm -hmm. process stuff that I do with people will be a big part of that. But it'll also integrate some of the parts that I don't provide and can't provide around Mm -hmm. copywriting and messaging and, you know, the the language side of it. Yep, yep, yep. And I think it's going to be called the Visionary Syndicate. Ooh, um, I love the word syndicate. So good. Syndicate. So good. So good. And, and it's it's very much based on this idea that a brand is not this thing that you throw several thousand dollars at once every three or four years and get your mm. colors and your, you know, or that you, that a brand is a consistent creative process mm-hmm. that allows you to actually really deeply develop the work that you do and deliver it to the world in a way that is completely badass and changes culture and attracts people to your work and lets you be the luminary that you want to be. And, and that the best way to do it is collectively in community, lifting each other up. I'm Mm -hmm. very inspired by a similar community. That's much more about business model and kind Mm. of business design. I need to join this community. Tara (laughs) Gentili's co-commercial is such an incredible model of a thriving, Mm -hmm membership site. Yeah. Um, we network, it's a network of mm-hmm. small business owners helping each other. She's taken herself out of the guru role, yep. but released herself to be so powerful as a teacher. Yep. Um, and I learn so much there every day. I've basically abandoned my own Facebook feed to hang yeah. out there. Nice. Um, it's just making my life a better place. Mm. So that's what I'm doing. And then red carpet rebellion becomes a part of the Bureau's special projects unit. Yeah, Special projects unit is not uh, dependent. My business is not dependent on special projects yep. for its revenue. Yep. The revenue comes from the membership site. Yep. And this is where I release myself back into scrappy, resilient artist mm. making interesting things making that I want to make. With Sometimes the people you want to make clients. it with. Yep. Sometimes in my local community that these are experiments and projects that are very relevant to the work that I do, but allow me to have an art studio again. Mm. Um, I so feel like just PS. <laughs> yes. Go for it. I feel like you have some waves to make in the art world that like... Oh, I'm not done with the art world. Yeah. And, yeah. Like, and part of me is like this business stuff that we're that you're doing as like your source of income and like all of that is awesome but like dude like you have so much work to disrupt and do in the art world too with like kind of similar in this in like kind of what I'm doing where it's like dude what if you were an artist that was making a ton of money and like like why not like and not being in the industry and not operating within the constraints um you know of the industry and stuff and I feel like you have so much amazing things to do there too well it's interesting because because, you know, the art world, you know, it's big, you know, it's become sort of normal. It started as mm-hmm. kind of a big fad and now it's become normal in the art world for artists to describe themselves as interdisciplinary oh, and to, you know, yeah. cross all these boundaries into different industries and disciplines and things like that. However, if you're doing that and you're still really wrapped up in yeah. getting the status of the art world for doing yeah. that, yeah. It, it's actually really hard to do. Yep. <laughs> yep. And I feel like now that I just sort of don't care about you know, fame in the context of the art world, it's actually just, I just feel so much more free. Mm. And I I don't see really my business as a way to kind of fund 
the mo- thing that's most important to me. I no, see yeah. all of it as it's part all. of this yep. interdisciplinary practice of yep. understanding the world, understanding how to live in the world, mm-hmm. understanding how to work together on different interesting projects that move the big questions forward. Yep. And I love, I've come to love the business world so much because mm-hmm. it actually lacks a lot of that sort of like it has its own stuff, but sure. <laughs> it, it lacks a lot of the sort of purism stuff ah, in the art world about yes. what's what's the ethical Which way. Which is it's in like, academia you know too. Yes. In yes. academia too, there's all this yep. stuff like business world is selling out. I have found some of the most spi- inspired, imaginative, yep. creative, like world-changing revolutionary folks in the business world. Yep. And they're there because at some point along the way, <laughs> they couldn't afford to do it yep. somewhere else. So they weren't <laughs> interested and they weren't confused yeah. by the sort of like status bullshit stuff, yep. that, you know. Yep. And, you know, I'm, I'm so inspired by the people I'm meeting in academia, in the business world and in the art world. And I feel like, oh, so now cool. some really interesting collaboration yes. can happen because I'm kind That's of so like. so funny that you say that because <sighs> Derek it, um, the first episode that we recorded um, where Derek was interviewing me mm-hmm. um, it was cool like we didn't prep each other in, in any way he's just like okay cool I'm going to interview you and he asked some really and this is after I had done a few interviews mm-hmm. so it was under my belt what it was becoming there was probably like a, like seven or eight interviews I had done and so Derek's like okay let's turn the mic on you um, and so he had been listening to the podcast, right? Yes. So he yes. knew, like, and he asked some interesting questions. And one of the things that he I heard it, I loved that. Yeah, episode, one by of the way. things yeah. that he reflected was like, you. Um, he goes, I was actually surprised uh, by the the people that are in this space. He's like, I came in with a lot of whatever stereotypical, you know, uh, predetermined ways that these people were going to what they were going to be like. And he's like, you've made some amazing friends. And, I, yes. and he said that and I was like, whoa, you are so right. And like it is. And that's why I've enjoyed it is is there's some of the fastest friends that I've ever made, some of the deepest friends that I've ever made. Um, um, you know, I did in college and I, I have some from grad school, but it's still very different in this entrepreneur space because I think, you know, personal development is so forefront and we you go through such up and downs together. Like, it's yep. just so cool. Like, I know we're both we were when we first met and just like watching you rise has been like so great. Like, it's just it's so cool. Like that doesn't really happen in the like, quote unquote, normal world. But like, mm-hmm. it's true. And so these relationships can be really deep. So I love that yes. you're bringing all these worlds together and recognizing that it's a lot more you know complex and nuanced than you know we paint them to be uh, both ways right like I had these images of what academics were going to think about me running this podcast and people are freaking loving it and I'm like oh yeah there's a whole bunch of me's all across the country in a classroom (laughs) like who am I to think that I'm the only one (laughs) like I I just don't fit in here right Um, so anyways I I love that I love that and I have to point out to you Lindsay you Mm. just made up a word you you (laughs) You you misspoke a word, but you just invented the very best word for your podcast. You said epicosode. (laughs) You inserted the word epic into episode. Oh my God, your episode is going to be titled this. This has been an incredible episode. Yeah. And I think all of your episodes have been episodes. I'm going to start a new hashtag. Oh my God, I love this it. Is not, I, f- 
feel like the best branding moments happen like that. Uh, it's almost like, you know, it's like, um, you know, divinely gifted in a moment or something. Oh, 100%. It's like, Epic episode. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good oh my god i'm like oh shit, that's a great like to just rename what the shows are called is yes genius episode genius. one episode two just throw it <laughs> in there is, and see what people think this is what happens when i hang out with amy walsh you can't not have good ideas i'm not even kidding you guys <laughs> It's so or funny, totally Amy. stupid ideas that make you laugh really hard right? on the way to your good idea. <laughs> but that's the cool thing is like, no one's ever thought of this. That's right. Crazy. Right. Um, I know. I've been getting asked a lot though, actually. And let's, maybe we can talk, jump into this because I think you taking this branding space, changing what it means to have a brand. I mean, that's huge. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think it, um, it helps people that, they're not trying to fit some weird mold of like a certain number of colors and fonts. I mean, that resonates with me so big because that's probably what a lot of people listening with their, if they're starting a business right now or in the early stages, you've yeah. totally thought about and that. Can I just jump in real quick sure. and say, there's actually nothing wrong with having like, yes. I actually have, I'm rebranding right now and I have a color matrix and a font mm -hmm. and like, actually that stuff can be, like for many, many, many brands, that is completely Cohesive appropriate. And, yeah, completely appropriate. Yes. yes. But if it fixes you mm. and makes you stagnant Feel, visually yeah. over yeah. time, then you need to find a way. Like that can be a really nice container for a brand mm. that's continually evolving. Mm -hmm. um, I love that. You know, with yeah. all the photos and the blog posts and the Instagram, you know, like all the stuff that you do. Um, but yeah, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, um, well, and I think this speaks to being an academic too, because yeah. part of me is like, okay, there's a mainstream way of doing something that we see over and over again. And yeah. then what does it look like if it's the opposite? How is it the opposite? How is right. that? How does that like, and that was what I would always teach in like my sociology class. Like what if you flipped like what you thought was what was happening and made it the opposite. And that always highlights what's happening. The inequalities, the mm, oppression. Right. And so, mm -hmm. so yes, it's, it's not that that is bad. It's just there's a lot of it. And so what if you allowed yourself to look at the flip side of it and say, what if I don't need all these colors? And so you might have to go through that experience of having the four colors with the one font and a certain board to yep. know what would it feel like if I didn't have yes. to operate yes. within that. So I think that, you know, the yes. nuances of, of, of an academic thinking about, right, like what we're, what yeah. we're putting out there, I think. Is, yeah, I love that. It's huge. like, how could you build a brand if you never um I feel I feel like a traitor saying this because <laughs> right? I love I think branding specialists are really really freaking important mm -hmm. so totally. hire your branding specialist but what if you couldn't what if you never mm. did what if you what if your brand what if your brand was something that you built every single day in tiny increments Ooh. over the course of the year and Ooh. embodied and, and what if it was something that just embodied your daily voice and what if that was the way that this beautiful cohesion and recognizability and uniqueness got expressed what if you didn't you right now. need someone <laughs> to come and overhaul your thing for you once a year but it was just really a part of who you are Shit. do you know i'm obviously going through this right now 
What? <laughs> I, mean, I am too. So, I actually yeah, I, am right? working with a That's... branding specialist right now on my brand, and but right? she really gets this. So she this gets is that idea. Jenny uh-huh. Ambrose of Puree Fantastico. She's mm. absolutely brilliant. I've never hired someone else to work on my branding with me right? before. I've always done it myself, and it's so liberating. And she really gets this way of thinking. She gets me, and so she's like. Oh no, girl, you're not going to have four brand colors. Mm. You're going to have a big matrix of this whole world of that. like 40 colors. And you're going to have not one brand icon, but you're going to have these like 40 different interchangeable icons what? of magical tools and objects in your business. So I've, we're, we're developing this whole like library of stuff mm. that I can use as I do this sort of daily process of evolving my brand. Yeah. And then one will probably float a little bit to the top. You'll start to realize you're using yeah, maybe for a couple periods more. of time yeah, totally. or one kind of program will start to use you know these or it can be very emotionally based like you know mm. she she was saying to me like if you're teaching a five-day workshop it's like as the workshop heats up by day three the colors will start to get really intense and then mm. they'll start to cool out by day seven you know oh, like such really, an artist way of <laughs> yeah but just <laughs> but using so that and it makes sense to people because it's yeah. it's just you know there's there are different logic Mm-hmm. forms of logic you can attach and that's a kind of logic where the colors are you know they have a more active mm-hmm. conversational role in your brand yeah. and pe- ah, that so can cool. sound intimidating to people but sure. this is why i had creative confidence jams everyone mm-hmm. can think visually yes. it's our birthright like yeah. everyone knows how to do it mm. We just Ooh, that's know, big too. We yeah, struggle because, with the confidence piece. <laughs> yeah, a lot of us think that we, yeah, quote unquote, I'm not an artist or I'm not, I don't have a graphic yes. eye. I da da da, and they they insert all these stories that whatever who at any point in their life mm-hmm. could have been told that this was ugly or this, you know what I mean? And I think that we carry so much of that with us. Um, yep. And then when we're in an industry where you just like, it's totally normal to hire someone to do all the things you don't want to do, so you just hire it out. But yes. what I, it's so interesting because <clears throat> and like looking for this person for myself, I'm thinking about like, yeah, outsourcing, it actually feels good. I'm at this point in my business and you kind of said this too. And I, you know, I think part of me wants to reflect back to people constantly is that, is that being in business is such a process and it's a constant evolution yes. and you'll never make it right. And in academia, there's these, this end goal. And for some people, maybe it's a master's for some people, maybe it's a PhD for some people, maybe it's tenure track for some people, it's maybe getting in some special, you know, the highest journal or whatever. So there's all these, but they're very clear what those milestones are. And that doesn't exist in business. So I have constantly had to fight the academic in me who's like looking for external validation and just let let that whole thing go and being like this is my journey and so yes yes, I used some branding people early on people have loved my website they've said they loved my copy and here I am two years later with more clarity than I've ever had before and I'm struggling more to like pull the trigger and I'm like you know maybe this is an outside job of someone to reflect back to me what I Mm -hmm. look like in this world and that's Mm -hmm. what I loved about our process that we had together with like, you know, what, what, and it's funny, like, I think what became of my photo shoot and my work with you, um, it was like, it, it felt so just like, oh yeah, of course this is what it was and is. And it, it, it's like, it's not even, and it's even became to mean more to me than I thought it would and like better than I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And that's because, mm-hmm. It's like, I think we really just like organically created it. And yeah. I think, I think part of the process that's a little 
broken in the branding world is that the people that hire you get to a point where you want to hire someone to do it for you but you might not be ready and if the right. person who who's doing that work for you can't dig it out of you um it's going to be a struggle and you're going to be unhappy yep. with what's on the other side and yep. so you you like represent this kind of other way of doing branding i feel like that comes from your teaching i mean your teaching background is so important mm-hmm. in this because yeah, that absolutely. was what your job was was to bring that out in people yes so, um and to see everyone as capable and mm-hmm. and magical and what was the word in the creative confidence like everyone is you said something that was like a line uh um, it's good you're as brilliant as anyone who ever lived boom <laughs> so i'll just let that sit with everyone um, you but that's exactly are as it. imaginative as anyone who's ever lived you're as creative as anyone who has ever lived <laughs> everything yeah. else anything else that would contradict that in your mind is some form of oppression or some mm. misinformation that got lodged in there and that's why it's For so sure. important because as as entrepreneurs as business owners especially in this digital space like you've already said like we create content every day um yes and so if you're wrestling with that or repressing that or that triggers you amy saying that it's like okay what are you you know not processing or what are you not exploring yeah. with your own cre- inner creator mm-hmm. 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 absolutely <sighs> yes Oh my goodness. And part, oh, and I, I wanted yeah, to go say, ahead. can I say, sure. one of the reasons I'm so excited about the visual, the visionary syndicate, the name just changed this morning. So I keep stumbling <laughs> over it. It was going to be the visionary branding syndicate, but it's too mm. long. No, I like the visionary syndicate. Um, yeah. Visionary syndicate is that, um, you know, as we've been talking, I've been cycling in my mind through the, the branding specialists I know who, who do, who are sort of like, working into the kind of newer paradigms of branding that are about mm. the the continual evolution and the empowerment of the business owner to develop and evolve the brand. And, and I'm so excited about the syndicate because I get to bring in all, you know, the person who does intuitive mm. branding through tarot mm-hmm. and the person who does, you know, there's like so many different ways, ways of doing in. it. Yeah. It's such yep. an incredible, incredibly geeked out and imaginative discipline when people Mm. actually treat it that way and don't just treat it as like a way to like decorate your thing. Mm. Um, That, you know, there, there are people, you know, the, there are these great branding people that I just see in the online space who kind of rise above the rest because they're just so like, like we were talking about before, they're so deeply and uniquely their, their geeked out selves. Um, And so they've developed these processes that are just so beautiful and so helpful. Mm. So I want to put them all in a frying pan and turn the heat (laughs) on and see what happens. I love it. I'm in. I want to be a part of it. (laughs) Please. Oh yes, please. I want you to teach something in there. It's also a way to get, you know, a bunch of really interesting people teaching and conversing with each other. And then a whole lot of people building brands, just like absorbing and learning Mm. it all. Um, Yeah. I'm really excited about it. I mean, just the idea of a branding membership site. um, Mm -hmm. And it's, true i think people you're right people are starting to see that it as an evolution because i think um yeah i mean i think there's lots of things at play i haven't 
been in this space too long. But even just in the two years that I've been in this space, it's like, you know, I've gone through a lot of different changes and stuff. And so people are now are starting to accommodate people who've gone through changes like this. And, it, and yep. people are starting to question the old ways of doing things, which, you know, mm-hmm. happens as as we uh, as the market matures and as this, you know, as this industry changes, which is and also as we act upon it, as you would yes. say, right, as yes. we start showing up exactly like this and mm-hmm. our impact that we have on people. It's just it's so cool. It just, yes, it's, I know. It's, like it's more, an exciting place to be. I don't be. know how to explain it. Like when I think of academia changing, it's oh, it's it just is like all about tradition and slow moving and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's cool happening, but it doesn't happen quickly. And so no. it's it's over 20 years talking to older faculty um, about how things have shifted. But like in this space, it's like hyper like yes. quick. Yes. So Absolutely. We get to we get to have commentary on it. <laughs> we get to question it and challenge it, which of course we love. I love to do. Absolutely. And yeah. you know, my special projects unit, one thing I'm excited about is I get to do some projects that are totally not commercially based. And mm. one of them, I just want to say here because it's related to academia. I felt when I was leaving academia, I was really feeling how hard it was or how hard I think it is for adjuncts to not have the traditional rituals around Mm -hmm. leaving jobs. So like an adjunct just might not be called back. So an adjunct might be the most beloved person on the faculty and then they might not fit into the university schedule one fall and they might just never come back and there's no sort of closure. And so I wanted to do an art project that was um, where I basically would hand type, um, like fire letters for adjuncts for closure. Mm -hmm. So I'd find out what school they taught at, what their three strengths were as a teacher and when they left and why. And I would write them the letter with their school letterhead that says, dear Lindsay Padilla, we are, we regretfully inform you that we will not be able to bring you back because there wasn't room in the schedule, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you are a wonderful teacher at our school and we wish you all the best (laughs) and email it to you. (laughs) You know, obviously conceptual art piece, it's there to show that these things are Mm -hmm. missing, but Mm -hmm. it's also a gift. You know, Mm -hmm. I like, I left academia wanting to just bestow gifts upon the academics that, that are there and also wanting to provide quitting services. So yep. in an, adjunct is ready to quit, we could show up with a band, we could have a parade <laughs> through campus, we could do some kind of art thing, we could, you know, put them in a hot tub with a martini, you know, things like that. So yes. I'm excited about that. Yay. So I know it's a really weird idea. This? No, it's not. We've yeah, talked no, about I'm this gonna do multiple it. times. I'm going to do it. I'm gonna, so oh, it's, it's, it's adjunct service, some kind of adjunct services. I will provide just it. as a little side a side project. Every once in a while, I'll type up a letter, send it off to some wonderful adjunct who poured their heart mm. and soul into their teaching for however long, mm-hmm. and you know got cut because some other someone else wanted their class or who you knows. don't yes. get to exactly. And then what, are, what do you have as an option? And that's the other thing I keep like coming to realization around is like, 
literally academics only have certain ways they can make money. Um, and right. I want to show all these other ways that they can use their skill sets, their passions um, to bring in, you know, some sort of consulting or side work because yep. that other, that other work is so volatile or so um, it's not volatile. It actually is pretty stable, but we're, we're in a political climate that makes it feel a little less safe than it used yes. to be, you know, 20 years ago um, or yes. a lot less safe if we're being honest. So yeah. Um, anyways, um, I don't yeah. even know how I got on that tangent, but it's but, a, it's a yeah. paradigm shift. For, it was a paradigm <clears throat> really, shift for me. Really and is. I think it is yeah. for a lot of people to imagine yep. yourself that what makes you so valuable as a teacher is absolutely transferable mm. to another industry, yeah. which you could also love, which you could also mm. find meaningful, which you could also have lots of meaningful relationships in and feel like you're impacting the world. I did not understand that, that yep. that was possible. And now I do. And it's mm. beautiful. And I hope mm. more and more people who are truly wanting to or ready to leave academia yeah. will We'll just have some confidence there. And and also, like, hats off to people who stay and are in the mm -hmm. long-term, very important project of yep. changing academia and fighting yeah. for adjuncts and professors' rights and well-being and mm. students' well-being. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm so fully, fully in support and excited about that. And, and I look forward to ways that people in business and people in academia can collaborate yes. in more beautiful ways. Yes. yes. Without making like... it feel like the institution is selling out. Cause that's the other. Exactly. Because exactly. you guys, it's been a business this entire time. Who are we kidding? That's I the know. first thing, right? Like, um, yeah. yeah, but you're so right. But it's, it's so interesting that you're bringing this up on the heels of Lisa Monroe, who was on and she was talking about, she's just in it coming from a different circle of entrepreneurs. And a lot of the people she hangs out with are, academics who've started businesses to serve the academy the gaping yep. holes that exist in the academy mm -hmm. but and she was and yeah. I'm curious to throw this back to you she's saying but we're we're still upholding uh the oppression and the bullshit that happens at that place we're just putting a band-aid on it and we're making right. we're turning it on to so like helping grad students write better or she edits um academic you know writing and so she gets paid as an editor and she's like but what we're not addressing is is that this editing <clears throat> or the amount of work that is expected of these people that they can't do it themselves and the class-based system that you're talking about, who can afford to get help um, when they're trying to meet, you know, these kind of ridiculous demands at the institution. Mm -hmm. And so she's questioning, you know, that too. And I thought that that was interesting. I had never, I think I like, yes, of course, an academic could start an academic based business around what isn't happening at the institution, but mm -hmm. also what's problematic about that. Like, are, are, you know, are we challenging it or changing it? And I think there's, yeah. you know, we're currently negotiating that. And I think that's interesting. And I think we're definitely in a transition of a mixing of these two worlds as we both yeah. represent. Um, yeah. but we're also getting to act upon it and, and, um, you know, model and create what we could what we want to create like what we want it exactly. to look like for other we're people all in that mm -hmm. tension between having to survive in the system as it yep. stands having yep. to create the band-aids having to do the things that make it a little easier to do to get by because a little easier makes a huge difference yep. when your life is totally tight in every direction so we have to kind of do those reform things and then you know, 
in the ways that we can support the transformation. We need to tr- support mm. the transformation. And, you know, some, I, I think it's so important that some people are working on reform and some people yep. are working on revolution and, yep. you know, it's, it's all, <laughs> it's yep. all really important, but it's also really yep. important. I think what I learned from being so sick was, um, that, it's okay to actually be where you are and tend mm. to yourself first, even mm. if that means you can't be the revolutionary you want to be uh, in that moment. Yeah. That you can't be the revolutionary you want to be if you're dead or if, you if have you're, nothing to, if you're yeah. always broke or yep. whatever, yep. Um, that you actually have to live and survive and thrive in the world that we have Yep. and speak up with your voice and do what you can. And, you know, uh, just, do what you can with what you have. <laughs> yep. I find myself saying that over and everyone else yeah. is trying to do exactly the same, which yeah. really helps. Yeah. That yeah. empathy part of it. And change is happening. It it's totally happening is. All We're living it. We yep. are living it. We are actors yep. in it. Actors yep. upon it. Yep. Yep. The end. The end. <laughs> Solving all the world's problems. We figured it out. Yeah. <laughs> figured it out. Well, Amy, it's been a pleasure. If you could, you know, quickly tell us where people can find you and your work, and we'll definitely drop it in the show notes. But yes. where are you hanging out right now? Okay. So I'm hanging out on Instagram as Tactical Imagination. I'm hanging out on my website, amywalsh.net, soon to be totally redone, maybe by the time you... Yeah. publish this, but maybe not. Um, and I have a Facebook group, which is probably the most uh, engaged place to find mm. me. And that Facebook group is called the Tactical Imagination Club. And you are all welcome to come hang out over there and yes. join in, observe whatever you want. Awesome. Yay. Yeah. yeah. That happened. We did it, Amy. We did it. It was so fun. <laughs> I love talking to you. And I just want to say, I, I was getting weepy too when you talked about how we met. It was such, it was so important for me to have a kindred spirit, right? Definitely. So thank and you I, so much. You're welcome. And like, yeah, thank you. I think I, I'm like, uh, so much of our, our lives are like parallel. Like it's, you know, mm-hmm. the stuff you're talking about, the branding and the evolution and throwing a bunch of things and stuff actually sticking, but then going, do I want to do that? Like, what do I desire to work yes. on? Like, what? Yes. Like, what is actually the thing I'm good at? We're literally going through the same thing in my business, mm-hmm. and I'm shutting down the things that I have clients for. But going, yes. is it an energy suck? And I'm doing it because it's money. Um, and I partially, you know, I do enjoy it, like with air quotes. But like, what do I like really enjoy? Do- like, where's my passion right now? Yeah. And where yeah. am I lighting up talking about? And I'm just really in tune with that. Yeah. So I'm yeah. like, and what, right what with can you. I focus on? So this mm. is sustainable. Yeah. Because you don't want to do all the things at the same time. That's not yep. sustainable. <laughs> nope. 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 Yeah. And it comes, yeah. and that might be a bleed over from academia too, right? Like, yes. You know, like, of course, I'm going to be the, of service to everyone in service of the greater right. good, you know, whatever. Right. Like, I'm helping people. Um, but, uh, I'm used yeah. to doing too much stuff for not enough money. Exactly. <laughs> Weird, right? Weird. <laughs> oh, anyway, we keep trying to say cool. goodbye, but we can't. I know. We just have That'll to keep totally talking. Stay in the recording for sure. <laughs> so bye or something. I'll see you around bye or something. Love you. Thanks Love for you listening, too. everybody. Bye bye. <laughs>